It's so lovely to be here and so lovely to be able to share with you tonight. Thanks to Gareth for, for allowing me to come up um, and, and speak this evening. Um, I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm as we've just, um, as Gareth just mentioned, uh, and then I'll pray and then we'll spend some time reflecting on, on verse 1. But um, let, let me read it. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing or I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank God for his word. Let's pray. Our great God, we are here tonight to hear you speak. Nothing else. In this moment, we are here to listen to your voice. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, I am so thankful that you are sovereign, that you are in control of all things, that you know everything and you know each of us intimately and you love us dearly. And Lord, you have words for us, each of us tonight. Lord, I pray that over these next moments, by your spirit, you would speak to us. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like I'm amongst friends. I don't, I don't know everybody here yet. Um, I'm slowly getting to know folks around here, and it's, it's wonderful. Um, but I feel like I can be a little bit open. And um, I want to take you back three years um, to the day, actually. Um, January the 8th, 2020. So three years exactly. Uh, and I had just been at home for a short while, and I was in RAF Bryce Norton, just about to get on a I'm not um, RAF, so I don't know what the airplane was called, but I was about to get on a big airplane um, to fly back out to the Enhanced Forward Presence, which was, which is still the British Army's uh, kind of forward operating space near the Russian border. So I had, I, I was the chaplain to the battle group at this time, and I had managed to get home for a week's R&R. Um, we hadn't had Christmas together, so I got home on about the 28th, 29th, of December, we had a late Christmas as a family, uh, and then on the 8th of January, I was flying back. And that might sound a little bit out of the ordinary. For us, that's quite normal, that's kind of life. You know, we just take it as it comes, right? Um, and that's how it was. But as I flew back towards, you know, into Estonia and towards um, Russia, um, everything was normal. 
Like, the, you know, the, the world hadn't gone mad. Um, this thing called COVID hadn't kind of erupted. There were a few little rumors and murmurs about a, a, a virus that had appeared, but nobody knew anything. And over the course of the next couple of months, kind of moving into March, when I was due to finish and come home from that tour, um, well, we all, we all know everything had started. And it was at the, the point where we didn't know if we were going to get home. I didn't know if I was coming back um, to the UK or if we were just going to have to stay because they couldn't swap people in and out and all this sorts of stuff. Very strange time, came home, and for each of us, the, the, the kind of the next two to three years was very different. You know, I, I acknowledge that. I don't speak, you know, about the experience that you've had. For, for us, our lives were, were kind of turned upside down in certain ways um, that we all share. We as a family each got COVID, um, some of us quite badly. I had three months off work. Um, I think I'm still suffering from the effects of long COVID. I'm fairly certain about that. Um, and so it has had a massive impact, you know, in some ways into our lives, into how our, our family has, has operated and how it works. But I think, you know, I, I acknowledge that we haven't all had the same experience. But we, we didn't know what was to come. None of us knew at that time. And I suppose the admission that I'm about to make is that spiritually, I have been up and down. Um, not in any kind of crazy, openly critical of God kind of shouting way, but subtly. And I would imagine that for most of us, whenever we've had our comfort or our freedom or our choice or our norms kind of rattled and shaken, it does get right to the heart of what we genuinely believe and trust in and hope for, for ourselves, and also for those that we love. Um, Gareth obviously has introduced this series, and I was so happy whenever we kind of had a brief chat about it, and we came to the 23rd Psalm, and, and what a privilege it is to, to look at these words that are so familiar, as we've already said, and to be comforted by them, and in that, of course, but also to be challenged because to me, it's so obvious that the 23rd Psalm takes us right to the heart of what Christians believe. They take us right to the heart of an authentic, true experience of Jesus Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit. And I suppose we can just say it as it is. This is a, yeah, I know that one, Psalm isn't it? It's, it's the psalm that's on the pages of children's Bibles, and many of us, as Gareth's already said, have choked our way through singing at the funerals of loved ones. We could very easily think, Psalm 23, nailed it, done, got that one. When in actual fact, it is a superb roadmap of Christian belief and experience. The older and the more mature and experienced we become as followers of Jesus, I think we should actually be able to point to these words and say, yes, this is what I've lived. It's become more vivid and more real and more glorious and more comforting as we track the course of this journey that the Good Shepherd is leading us on. And tonight we're looking at verse one, verse one, it's barely a few words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not 
be in want, as I reckon most of us probably know it. The rest of the psalm explores those twin promises that God is shepherding me and he will meet every need I have. And tonight, very simply, we're going to celebrate that declaration that the Lord is my shepherd. And we're going to explore the fact that hour by hour, we can be confident that he is meeting our every single need. And the way we're going to do this tonight is we're going to ask two very simple questions. Firstly, who is this shepherd? And secondly, how does he care for me? Who is this shepherd? Who is this shepherd? Well, he is the Lord. He is the great I am. David says Jehovah, or the same name, Yahweh, the Lord, the creator, the sustainer, the upholder, the promise maker, the promise keeper. This God shepherds me. The enormity, the infinitude of God's majestic power, wisdom, might, and holiness focused in intimate, skillful, faithful, need-supplying shepherding. Did you know that there are more stars in the galaxy than people who have ever lived? Did you know that for every grain of sand, there are approximately 10,000 stars? And did you know that there are more cells in your body than there are stars in the universe? Now, I don't really understand anything that I've just said in the last three sentences, but I am loving being completely overwhelmed by it. And as we come to the Bible and we come to Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord made our cells, the Lord made the sand, the Lord made the stars. He has put each of them in their place and he superintends them and he leads them in his unending power. And as Jehovah, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping Lord, he is committing to us to each of us, to be our shepherd. The Lord in Jesus Christ is your shepherd if you have an open heart to his powerful mercy and love. That's what David is saying. That is the wonder of this simple yet profound declaration. Shepherd in the uh, Hebrew means food bringer, the one who supplies the food for the hungry. And again and again, over 400 times, the Bible compares people to sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, you should actually find that really quite rude. Because famously, sheep are spectacularly foolish, Vulnerable creatures who get stuck in ditches, on walls, by cliffs, in bogs, in fences. And the Bible says that you're like that. In fact, that all of us are like that. Sheep get ill incredibly easily. 
They eat the wrong food, they get infections and parasites, they're filled with bacteria and horrible diseases, and sheep often just want to lie down and give up. If a sheep has a shock, perhaps it's been chased or attacked, even after the predators have gone, even after everything is okay and it's safe, it will sink down onto its side and such is the weight in its fleece and its organs and its body that it will lie on its back with its legs stiffly in the air. And the blood will all drain into its body and then the sheep won't be able to get up again, even if it tries in most instances. The sheep just wants to roll over and give up. And sometimes I feel a bit like that too. And I'm pretty sure you do also. Sometimes over the big fears and the sorrows and the heartaches of life, but also sometimes over the little stuff. The sheep are vulnerable to every predator. The ancient landscape was full of them, bears, wolves, dogs, lions. The Bible says, that's us. And we need a shepherd. And one has come, more than equipped, more than willing, to be the Lord, your shepherd. And yet, a little voice in us says, yeah, but I don't need a shepherd. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm here in church, and, and I'm actually here most weeks, but I No, I'm not really a sheep. I'm not really part of the flock. I I can do it myself. I'll be all right. But a sober and an honest assessment of how we have lived over these past couple of years, maybe, with questions like, have I been scared? Or have I said or done foolish, destructive things? Or have I put myself or even those that I love in big or small ways in any kind of danger or brought sorrow or stress upon anyone? Have I desperately tried to be the source of the solution for my own problems? And half a dozen other questions might give us some answers that actually say, we do smell a little bit sheepy. And the Bible may well just be bang on about our lives and about who we are. So as God looks at his Old Testament people and he says again and again, your sheep, your sheep, your sheep, again and again, he also says, but I'm your shepherd. And look at my shepherding love. And to read the Old Testament now for us is an invitation to see how God has indeed shepherded his people through the most ancient of promises. Meeting his people in Egypt, shepherding them through the Red Sea, bringing them through the wilderness, to giving them kings and leaders to look after them. And then after the great tragedy of the exile, when they behaved more like goats and not sheep, God scatters his flock But he says, I am going to come myself to shepherd you because that's what you need and that's what I will do because there are wolves out there who will eat you 
alive. And of course, one of the great stresses for all of us, whether we are looking at the wider church or wider society, there are plenty of leaders who are just wolves. Maybe they set out with good intentions to serve, but it doesn't look like that now. And we're not going to get into a bashing session, but as we cast our minds back over the last two or three years, during the height of the pandemic, we would struggle to find a great example of national leadership, wouldn't we? And to go back to Russia for a moment, why do you think last September President Putin didn't go to the funeral of President Gorbachev? If you remember, his excuse was that he was too busy. Too busy. Maybe. Now, for all of Gorbachev's failings, and there were a number of considerable ones, and arguably some of his bad choices have led to the mess of modern-day Russia, but for all of his shortcomings, he had a basic desire to wish for and work for the freedom of his people. So at a time when that was going to be celebrated, the current president would go and stand alongside the coffin and allow the comparisons that would again remind the nation and a watching world about the kind of leadership the Russian people have got. Not a chance. Because selfish leaders will try and look like shepherds long after everyone knows they're standing next to a wolf. And the impact upon us as members of society and members of churches where horrible things have been done by leaders in churches too, the impact upon us is the temptation to be cynical and to mistrust any leadership, to feel cynical about any authority. And if we let that cynicism control us, we might just miss how good it is that Jesus says he has come as the Lord, our shepherd. We run the danger potentially of thinking, I can shepherd myself. I don't need Jesus or his under shepherds. And so when we flick over to the New Testament, to John 10, which we're not gonna go to and read tonight, but trust me, this is what it says again, One verse from John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. David in Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus in John 10 verse 11 says, that's me. He's talking about me. I am the good shepherd. And if you've ever spent time in that passage, you know he's not saying, I'm a shepherd and I'm quite a good one. By putting in the I am statement, and we see that a lot in John's gospel, Jesus is making a central, challenging claim to divinity. He's saying, I am God. I am the Lord who has come to shepherd as only the Lord can and will. And he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd Those words, and Jesus speaks them, is an explicit fulfillment of the lengthy chapter of Ezekiel 34, where Ezekiel looks at God's people in exile, 
And they have had bad leaders and they've currently got bad leaders and God says to them, you're gonna get a true shepherd. He's coming. And so Jesus in John 10 then says, I've come. I am that shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The one thing we need to remind ourselves about ancient shepherding is that it was exceptionally dangerous. You're the last line of defense against the wolf or the bear or the dog or the thieves or whatever. In fact, you're the only line of defense. It's them or it's you. And with all the happiness and the celebration of Psalm 23, we actually really have to reckon with the reality of Psalm 22. Because the Lord who is shepherding in Psalm 23 actually lays down his life for the sheep in Psalm 22. We're not gonna go into the Psalm, but in it, we see images of dogs and lions and evil men. And David in Psalm 22 is saying, they're encircling me, they're tearing at me, they're tearing me apart. And he gives details of a living death which in the Old Testament is a riddle, but come to the new. And it is explained because this psalm is used there. It's explained as death by crucifixion. And it's understood as the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. His body broken. His blood taken violently. On the cross, we see the love and the sacrifice of the good shepherd most vividly. Is he your shepherd? Is he the Lord of your life? That could be a question in the sense of, has he ever become your shepherd? Or it could simply be, is he shepherding you right now? Are you thinking about how he laid down his life tonight and thinking that that was for me? Jesus said a little bit further on in John 10, he said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Do you hear his voice? Maybe tonight you're in a battle on some of this. And as we answer our second question, I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring some clarity because we've thought about the answer to this first question, who is this shepherd? But now we wanna know, how does this shepherd care for me? What does it mean to say and experience the Lord is my shepherd so that you can truly believe that you will not be in want? I'd like to answer the question in two parts. Firstly, he commits to me entirely. It's always worth being reminded of this, whether we've been a Christian for a few weeks or for 60 years. If the Lord is your shepherd, you are going to experience his total commitment in power and in love. Think again about how intensively the shepherd, whether in ancient or modern times, is committed to his sheep. 
He leads them to pasture. He provides them with good food. She leads them away from harmful food. He clears poisonous weeds or plants with tools and fire. She gives them medicine for their wounds or to clear parasites. She cuts their hooves or cuts away ingrown or harmful broken horns. If you are a shepherd, and there may be a shepherd here tonight, I don't know, but if you are a shepherd, you need to intimately get involved in every aspect of your sheep's lives and take all of the grime that goes along with that. The good shepherd guards their flock against predators. The good shepherd goes out at great personal cost and inconvenience or danger or risk to look for the lost sheep. He gets them out of ditches or streams or walls or fences or holes in the ground or hedges or ledges and he carries them out of a range of self-inflicted disasters. Sometimes I look at my life, and maybe you look at yours, and you think, well, that is just a range of self-inflicted disasters. Through our own pride or selfishness or foolishness, we've just blundered our way into And Jesus' commitment to his sheep is so intense and so relentless that moment by moment, danger by danger, and not only those we have brought upon ourselves, but those times when life just can't be described as anything but unfair. And also in the midst of the joys and the successes and the celebrations, he is leading us. He is invested in us. He is caring for us. He is leading us by his wisdom in every situation, the ones we see and the ones we don't. And and just think about this for a moment. What sheep have you ever witnessed trotting up to its shepherd and saying thank you? Thanks for all the work that you do. But what follower of Jesus who trusts in the shepherd and experiences care will not go to the Savior in worship and amazement and thankfulness for his dearly mercy and provision. And all of the stuff we see, we know is just a tiny glimpse of his mercy as he protects us and shepherds us away from all that we can't. And we can do nothing but worship and praise him. And the more we are aware of it, the more we submit to the Bible's promise of it, the more we are looking for it in our lives, the more our faith will grow and we can say, and here is the second part of the answer to our second question, we can say individually, because he's so committed to me and because I know it, I can trust him entirely. I shall not be in want. I lack nothing. Do we fully appreciate that phrase? It's such a powerful declaration of faith, which I fear can sometimes miss our heart. What if we read it as, I have everything I need? 
I think it would be wonderful to memorize this psalm. It seems like a great opportunity over the next number of weeks. Why don't we commit to doing that? Why don't you set that as a bit of a New Year challenge? It's not a huge one. It's a short psalm. A New Year challenge. Commit it to our hearts. And if we do, we'll have such rich spiritual food to enjoy. And maybe as you memorize verse 1, learn it, yes, as I shall not be in one, but hear, hear that as I have everything that I need. Not in the future, not at the end of time, although of course that's true, but actually today. As we sit here this evening, in the midst of all manner of difficulties and struggles and aches and pains and worries, to say verse one and to believe it means in this moment in time, in wisdom and love, God is currently meeting every single one of your needs. I had the privilege, the joy, uh, a number of months ago to visit Hereford Cathedral. It's a kind of a work thing. Um, and Hereford Cathedral uh, has all sorts of other bits in it. It's a bit like most of these big cathedrals. I'm not a cathedral buff, unlike many of my Anglican uh, colleagues who love this stuff. But, you know, you go there to visit um, a cathedral, but there's all sorts of other bits there. The, the Hereford Cathedral actually has one of, if not the kind of oldest existing maps of the world. It's called the Map of Monday, I believe. Um, and you can see it there physically. But another thing that Hereford Cathedral has is, is a chained library. You may have heard of a chained library before. It's basically an ancient library. So it's got books dating back hundreds of years and they're arranged in shelves and, and by chain. And it used to be that you could go into this library, take a book off the shelf, read it, and it would still be attached to all the others so you couldn't leg it with something of John Calvin's or whatever it was. But I went in to see this library, and it's, you know, fascinating. For someone who likes books and likes reading, it's great. And you read through the lists of all the books there, and there's lots of the reformers and Zwingli and Calvin and all these other guys, tons of these books. I could bore you with that for a while. But one of the, the things that was there, too, were some of the writings and the letters of John Newton, of amazing grace, fame, obviously. And afterwards, I kind of was a little bit impacted by what I read while I was there, and I, I subsequently looked uh, a little bit further into to some of the letters that he had written to friends, uh, and in particular to his wife, um, Mary. Uh, and apart from being really sad that in the main, I think we've lost the art of letter writing now, I came across one particular letter that he wrote to a dear friend, and I want to draw things together this evening by reading a few lines from this letter. Um, it was written in 1775 to a close, close friend who was deeply struggling in life and in particular in his Christian um, journey, his Christian life. And he wrote this letter, read about five or six lines. He says, all shall work together for good. We're hearing Romans 8, 28 there immediately. And in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We're hearing Psalm 23, verse 1. God is your shepherd and all things are working together for your good if you love him. You shall not be in want. Not this second or next week or ever. 
His care and his provision is so extensive and wide. So all shall work together for good and everything is needful, meaning necessary, that he sends. Just pause. God knows what you need and if you've got it, he has ordained that experience. All shall work together for good and everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. I wonder if you ever said to yourself, I could really live if, or I could really thrive if, I could really believe if, I could really serve if. And then we name the circumstance or the need that we think hasn't been met. John Newton says very lovingly but firmly to his friend, that's not the case. If you don't have it, it's because God hasn't decreed that you need it. You may ache with a desire for it, but God says you don't need it. And that's the way of the cross, isn't it? I put my desires, my discontentment, sometimes my angry disbelief, And I put those to death and I take up my cross and I say, Lord, you know the way. And I deny myself and I trust you and I follow. Be content to bear the cross. That's what Newton writes to his friend. That's what Psalm 23 verse one, I think, says to us, patient trust. And if you ask the Lord for that, he will give it. All shall work together for good and everything that is needful that he sends, nothing can be needful that he withholds. Hide yourself under the shadow of his wings Rely upon his care and his power. When you cannot see your way, be satisfied, for he is your leader, your shepherd. When your spirit is overwhelmed within you, he knows your path. He will not leave you to sink. A good shepherd never walks past a stuck or a sinking sheep. And the good shepherd has never done that with any of his yet. And he's not doing it with you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Please join me as we pray. And so with this great declaration of faith, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I think it brings into sharp focus how much of a challenge it is for us to exercise our absolute and complete trust in our good shepherd. Just as we pause for a moment, 
You might want to think back to this point three years ago. That might be hard to do, but think of a moment over the last couple of years. For many of us, that might just be a bit of a blur. For some of us, it's a melting pot of mixed emotions and experiences. Maybe for some of us, it's something very particular and very raw. What are you carrying tonight? What is the legacy of the last couple of years in your life? Is it loss or grief? Is it pain, whether that's physical or emotional or spiritual pain? Is there some level of anger or disappointment? Maybe guilt? A feeling of confusion or disillusionment or simply a lack of belief or trust? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my sheep, and my sheep hear my voice. Lord Jesus, I believe you are my good shepherd. And because you laid down your life for me, you will see me safely home by your Holy Spirit. Give me more faith to believe that I shall not today or any day be in want. In that faith, Holy Spirit, make me contented and joyful and eagerly obedient to take up my cross and follow my Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you that a day is coming when in your shepherding love, as the book of Revelation shows us, you shall wipe every tear from our eyes. Lord God, only give us faith to be true to you, to embrace your love, and to walk with trust in your goodness until that day. We worship you. We thank you for your love. And we commit one another to it. For your name's sake. And for our blessing and joy.